0: Hello everyone, Um, Martin Kiernan here and I'm away at the ICPIC conference in Geneva and actually delighted to be at the first face-to-face conference for a couple of years now and one of our keynote sessions yesterday was by John McConnell, who's the editor-in-chief of the Lancet Infectious Diseases who, since its inception in uh, 2001 I think, it's now got an impact factor of over 25, which is quite spectacular. So we're going to have a chat about his presentation yesterday about about all the the effect of the COVID pandemic on the uh, publications around the world. But interestingly, John was just saying on the way into when we spoke, he used to be at work in research, but he left research because he didn't want to know a little, or a lot about a little. So now, as editor, do you now know quite a lot about a lot?
1: Um, I guess I know quite a lot about a few things, um, and I know a little about an awful lot of things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now... COVID saw an enormous increase in submissions. Can you quantify that at all, really? Because yeah. you, didn't, you didn't publish anymore, did you, really?
1: Not, um, the amount we published, uh, the increase in the amount we published was not a reflection of the increase in the amount we received. So we went from around about um, 1,800 submissions per year of all types, so that's everything from full research articles to the letters to the editor, to um, over 6,700 submissions, so um, 3.75 times increase um, in submissions. Uh, But the amount of research articles we published only went up by about 10 over the course of the entire year, Uh, but we did see a a big increase in uh, comments and letters to the editor, so quite a lot of the sort of preliminary information which was coming out in the early stages of the pandemic was soaked up by publishing more letters to the editor.
0: Right, okay. I mean, there was a huge number of um, publications, well, papers submitted to journals all over the world, and I suspect... Not all were accepted, or some were rejected. Did the standard go up or down, would you say in the year? You know, did the bar move? Um, I, I thought there was the uh, typical situation you see
1: in a sort of outbreak so So I have lived through other outbreaks, um the, the most recent ones being ebola and um and uh, Zika. Um, and what happens there is you get a lot of um, preliminary data, which in the form of um, observations and case series, um, and that's useful to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get on to uh, within, um, in the case of, of COVID, actually within the face of place of a very few months, um, you get on to planned studies. Um, and so then you start rejecting the observational stuff uh, because the planned studies are a, are a higher level of evidence. Sure. Um, so material which we would have published in the first few weeks or months of the pandemic, Um, we we stopped publishing by by the the summer of last year.
0: Okay, but the observational work early on was very useful because that's all we had to go on at the time. Absolutely
1: right, yeah. I mean, so the observational work, for example, um, not a paper published in Lancet Infectious Diseases, but in the weekly Lancet, established the fact that this was a um, respiratory disease which was transmissible from person to person. Um, And without those uh, observational data, we would not have known that
0: yeah so extremely useful uh, did the acceptance rate change at all over time?
1: uh well yes, I um, mean it had to so mm. uh, just looking at original research articles, the acceptance rate, which is i mean it's always been pretty low it's been um, under ten uh, percent i mean in most years it's around about seven percent for original research articles but that that went down to about two uh, percent or below
0: mm, okay and what and what about the impact on preprints because a lot of people now mm. And there are a lot of papers that good papers that go as preprints, and there are yeah. a lot that appear there and never seen again yeah. or are retracted. Yeah, what do you think yeah. about the impact? Well,
1: of that? it depends what um, uh, what debate database you looked at, but the uh, there was something like sixty thousand preprints on COVID. Um, have been published over since the beginning of the the pandemic um, and have been responsible for a huge uptick in uh, preprints of the biomedical sciences. However, um, they only represent at the moment around about 20% of all papers uh, published on COVID and that proportion appears to be going down over time. I I think most authors are are looking for
0: a peer-reviewed publication in the end. Mm. I mean certainly in my field of infection prevention control I wouldn't traditionally have looked at preprints very much, and it's not somewhere where I would have gone look for it, going looking for yeah. information. Now I do. So, is there has there been a change in the way that certain science groups look at preprints as a publication? Um,
1: I, well, I can't speak across the the whole of science, but I, I think one of the issues with absorbing material from preprints is that there is there are there are just so many of them. Mm. So e- even uh, currently, as the, the the rate of publication of preprints going down, there are still three hundred being published per week. How you absorb that information is, <laughs> is quite beyond me. Uh, and so really, I mean, the, the preprints come, that, that come to prominence are the ones that get picked up by um, people on Twitter and, and on blogs yeah. and that sort of thing.
0: I was going to ask you about the impacts of social media mm. on publication and, because there's almost a social media peer review process going on, isn't
1: there? There is, definitely. And um, that has been going on for a while with things like PubPeer, mm. um, which is a sort of post-publication peer review website, um, we at the Lancet have had a for a couple of years now. have had our own preprint server called Preprints of the Lancet. Uh, but certainly, um, I, I think, um, and pre-pandemic, we'd had about two thousand or so papers mm-hmm. um, deposited on Preprints of the Lancet, of which a, a handful. Uh, I mean, single. Um, I think. I think under twenty. Uh, had actually accumulated any comments at all really? um, so it, in that situation that pre uh, pre pandemic situation um, uh, the informal what you might call the informal peer review process wasn 't having any effect whatsoever mm. uh, but obviously there has during the pandemic in a in a situation where you have a very high level of public concern and anxiety um, about a uh, an infectious disease, um, then we've started to see preprints which do attract an, an enormous amount of attention. Mm. Um, and I gave an example of one yesterday which was um, supposedly showing that... Um, vitamin d was incredibly uh, effective in preventing severe disease and death from covid yeah. uh, but but turned out to be a a uh, hugely mi- mischaracterized study um, and I, I, a lot of the um, process uh, which led to our um, a decision to reject that paper and actually investigate um, the um, what the authors had done came about because of comment on, on social media mm. um, and on pubpeer and and on the comment section of, of preprints of the Lancet.
0: I mean because political leaders also got involved in looking at papers and publicising them yeah, haven't yeah, they when they haven't yeah. always been that yeah. great.
1: Yeah <laughs> so in this particular case there was a, a British politician called David Davis who uh, tweeted about this paper. Um, how it came to his attention I don't know uh, but that uh, his tweets um, were rapidly um, retweeted and commented upon, mm. um, and it's because of that that that, that um, paper really attracted the attention that it did. I would say in our defense. Uh, that we were already peer-reviewing that paper before David Davis uh, tweeted about it and um, based on the comments of the peer reviewers alone, the formal peer reviewers alone, uh, we would have rejected it and conducted an investigation.
0: I mean ultimately the peer-review process does work doesn't it?
1: It it works in the majority of cases. Um, Of course there's been some very high-profile failures of Mm. peer review during the pandemic. Uh, I would say percentage-wise um, I don't think the um, the rate of failure of peer review has been any higher during the pandemic than it has been uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, there's been talk, an awful, there's been a lot of talk about um, the high number of attractions of COVID nineteen papers. Well, in actual fact, the the percentage of attractions of formally peer-reviewed sure, papers yeah, yeah. is no higher than the percentage of attractions of preprints.
0: Yeah, if you have a lot of something, then the yeah. proportions. Yeah, the numbers changed. look high because.
1: Yeah. The, the absolute numbers of papers on the subject are very high, yeah. uh, approaching uh, 190,000 now.
0: Wow. I mean, did you actually struggle to get reviewers, and did you actually have to change? You know, it, yeah. I got sent papers that normally I wouldn't get asked to review because some journals yeah. were struggling to get reviewers. Did yeah, we, we had
1: precisely that that issue. Is that, um, of course, the very people that we want to peer review are the people who are on the front line. Yeah. Uh, what we have learnt though is we we've discovered a a, a whole lot of a whole new group of people um, in many many more countries who are in, interested in the topic. Uh, so, for example, we would not have often in the past ask on to peer reviewers in Brazil. Mm. You know, we had a handful who were used on particular subjects in Brazil. Uh, but we've just discovered that there's a whole community of um, very, very talented experts on respiratory infections in Brazil. Yeah, um, and, and also, I think it's helped us diversify, not just diversify across countries, uh, but, but sort of help close the gender gap between, um, um, between um, men and women who will take up our peer review offers. I mean, we still have that issue around... Um, I, I think, by and large, we are inviting as many women to peer review now as we are men. Uh, but the rate of acceptance from the, from women is is not uh, as high as it is amongst That's men. Really
0: interesting. What do yeah. you think that?
1: Um, is? I, I can't I can't explain that. No, okay. uh, I mean, there, there are the sort of what you might call the trite explanations, which are which are not supported as yet by data, and may mm. well turn out to be the correct explanations, are that the women are too busy doing other things, such as you know, <laughs> homeschooling and uh, that sort of thing. Well, uh, but mm. but we don't have data to prove that no. yet.
0: I mean. No, I, you know. Okay, I mean, you actually mentioned you found a group in Brazil. I mean, actually, there's been quite a diversification in the number of countries now submitting papers, hasn't there? I mean, you know, I've not read many papers from Iran, for example, in the past. And you mentioned that as a key source. Yes,
1: we haven't. uh, We've received something like a tenfold increase in the number of papers coming from Iran between 2019 and 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, That hasn't yet been accompanied by a tenfold increase in in the number we've published. Uh, But the quality is definitely improving, Uh, and China. So, uh, I mean, we've we've got data for author countries going back to two thousand and six, and since two thousand and six, there has been a hundredfold increase. In the number of papers being submitted um, from China, wow. um, and and the um, my observational experience um, is that the quality of those papers has uh, has increased exponentially.
0: Yeah, I mean I've, I've visited China on a number of occasions and found the academic standard to be yeah, increasing yeah. every time I go. Yeah. So, that's and that's
1: another country where we're using a lot more peer reviewers yeah. um, from okay. China than we ever did before.
0: I mean, going back to social media, you mentioned there's now a lot more interaction between researchers and and their audience, if you like, through social media. Do you think that's a trend that's likely to continue
1: um, I, I I kind of hope so. I, I hope we get past the stage where a lot of that interaction is is uh, too much of that interaction is abusive yeah uh, but but there is uh, amongst the abuse there is um, positive and helpful interaction on social media. Um, And amongst all the armchair epidemiologists who really don't understand what they're talking about, um, there are a surprising number of people um, whose uh, background is not in the topic um, and who do understand what they're talking about and have been very helpful. Mm. Um, And I, I hope the audience... The, um, the lay audience engaged in science I, I hope that persists post-pandemic
0: yeah hopefully but everybody seemed to be an epidemiologist for a while until <laughs> well Europe, you know before Europe. that
1: they were yeah. all experts in, um, in European law yeah. um, and in the impeachment process yeah. and football for a while and football yeah 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 yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah so yeah. everybody yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention that you know there's been a huge number of papers submitted and there's only a certain number of journals that can really publish those at the end of the day So what's happened to the rest? Has Mm. there actually been um, an uptick in the number of predatory journals picking up these papers? Yeah,
1: um, good question. I I honestly don't know the answer. Mm. I don't don't know the answer to that. That's going to take a few years to analyse. Um, Mm. uh, I mean, one of the advantages of working for, um, for the Lancet is that we're supported by Elsevier, who are who have a huge data infrastructure behind mm. uh, everything we do, uh, and they do track the um, outcome of, pub, of, of uh, papers submitted. So you can look, they provide data on a fairly regular basis uh, on what's happened to papers that have been submitted to our journals and that um, uh, and that we don't publish, mm-hmm. uh, and the cascade of where they end up. So in a few years' time, we, we will be able to look and see um, where, where those papers ended up, uh, but it's too early
0: to tell them though. Okay, that would be quite interesting, I think. And finally, John. I mean, as an editor of a high-profile journal in a huge pandemic like this, what's been the impact on you? Do you think has it made life easier or more difficult for editors? And you know, will encourage people to go in towards editorship, editorship, or run away from it? Uh,
1: <laughs> um, I, I, I overall, although there were have been periods when I have been, my and my colleagues have been intensely busy. Um, it was, it was like. It was a little bit like if you do a, um, I've never run a marathon, but I, I go rowing. And some of the rowing races I do are quite long. Mm. Um, and it's a bit like you, you sort of get into that fog where you're, you're during a, a long event, where where you're not quite aware of just how long it's been going on for, uh, but somehow you're still able to persist with it. Mm. Um, and it did feel a bit like that during the the, the pandemic is, is the... Um, that, that That fog of if you like pressure kind of enveloped me um, but but was not insurmountable um, it 's only when it 's over that you kind of feel that the, the, the wow you know how did how did I do that or yeah. how did me and my team do that yeah um, so somehow we coped and we had a lot of help from our colleagues from other journals who weren 't uh, who didn 't see the same increase in oh, okay. uh, publications um, so th- there was periods of intense pressure periods when I I and my colleagues were busier than we've ever been before but overall it was it was a immense pleasure it was a, a pleasure a privilege it was a privilege it was a huge privilege um, to be part of that process of um, helping to ensure the validity of science mm. um, and helping to get important, Decision making, research um, into the public domain.
0: Yeah, I mean that's really important. It certainly helped us at the front line, knowing what's likely to work and what's not mm. likely to work. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, you know, without journals and publication of scientific papers, we'd all be up a gum tree. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I still think that, uh, that that journals are the, the best endpoint for for scientific publication. I'm mm. I'm willing to entertain any other forum to do it, but at the moment, I still think journals
0: are the best end point. Okay. On that note, thank you very much, John. Really pleased to see you. And so thank you very much for talking to me today. My pleasure.